guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. I'd like to focus on our second reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans as we reflect on the word of God. St. Paul is writing a really important idea, concept, fundamental to the Christian life. Something that comes up a lot in the context of funerals. We've already died because we were baptized into Christ's death. We anticipate our own death in the symbolism, the sacramental sign of baptism, which is meant, at least in its original form, to indicate a drowning, a death. The old person being baptized is submerged and is held down until he stops struggling. But that's not the end. Out of the waters of death comes the new soul, refreshed, renewed, regenerated, is the language of our, of our faith. Made new, transformed. Not only an adopted son or daughter of God, though that is one way of explaining it, but a partaker of God's own nature. That is God-like living the life that God lives. Divinization, in other words. That's something perhaps we're less familiar with. We hear the language of baptism, but the language of divinization strikes us as something foreign. I don't know, maybe something even Mormon. I got, I got accused of being a Mormon one time because I preached about this on Christmas. Are you saying we all get a planet one day? No, this is scriptural, goes back to the earliest, stage, earliest times in the history of the church as a way of explaining what happens in baptism. If our life is to extend beyond a merely human existence, it has to, it has to be the life of someone or something higher than human. We partake of a divine life. And I guess all of that is a way of indicating what St. Paul is talking about here, the transformation that's to take place and to mark the life of a Christian. We can think of it in these terms. Maybe this is a helpful way of of approaching it. Is redemption, do we primarily see redemption as being delivered from sin or being delivered from the consequences of sin? Here's the distinction there. To be delivered from sin means that sin no longer has dominion over me. Sin no longer controls me. I'm not enslaved to sin. I'm not enslaved to my own appetites and my own preferences because those are always drawing me in a, in a direction that is away from God. Sin is a kind of slavery. Sin is its own punishment. That's a, that's a tough one sometimes to wrap our minds with. Sin is its own punishment. Maybe you've heard the, the other side of that phrase, the other, the other side of that idea. Virtue is its own reward. We usually trot that out when maybe a child or a grandchild has done their chores or done what we've asked of them, and they come saying, can I have a cookie now? <laughs> and we say to them, well, virtue is its own reward. <laughs> you don't need anything else. 
you got exactly what you needed by doing what you were asked to do. That's the best possible reward. We say that maybe sarcastically, but, but it is the truth. We don't, we're not virtuous because we're waiting for some subsequent reward that's, that's less than that. No, we're made to be holy, to live in communion with God and to know God. What reward could possibly surpass that and motivate us? Yeah, we might need those rewards. We might need things to keep our attention because of our weakness. But if things were perfect, we wouldn't need them. We could see the truth. We could see what it means to be holy. We could see what it means to be virtuous or just. And that would be enough. Likewise, sin is its own punishment. We ought not think of the punishment due to sin as something that's following on later. No, being a sinner... Being enslaved to sin is itself the punishment. What's worse than that? Think of the prodigal son, an heir who takes his inheritance and runs with it, misspends it, finds himself destitute in the midst of a famine, taking care of pigs. That's the state we find ourselves in when we sin. That's it. It may feel like something different to us at the time, as it did to him. He felt like he had a ton of friends. Felt like he was having the time of his life. I can do whatever I want. Go wherever I want. Spend my my money whatever way that I want. Man, that's a good life. But what he didn't realize was that was the punishment. Getting what he wanted was exactly the punishment. That was what made him miserable. His awareness only came later. But if we were perfectly aware, we would see it for what it was. Virtue is its own reward. Sin is its own punishment. So, when we're promised to be delivered from sin... It means that our life is going to be transformed from the inside. I'm going to actually want to be around God and the things of God. I'm going to actually desire to be holy and converted. I'm actually going to want to leave sin behind. Not because I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me if I don't, but because I find it repulsive. Because I find it foreign to me as a a citizen of the, the heavenly kingdom. That's what we mean by being delivered from sin. Do we think of our deliverance, our salvation as being delivered from sin or from the consequences of sin? If I'm more interested in not being punished for my sin than I am from being transformed from the inside to know God, to long for him, to find God and the things of God beautiful, to find holiness attractive, To find the ways of giving myself away in a gift of self as the most satisfying way of living my life. But rather instead focus on avoiding perhaps punishments or avoiding a bad reputation or avoiding the other negative consequences that come with a sinful life. Maybe this distinction is a a little too subtle. Sometimes it's hard to 
put it into words. I struggle to do that. But maybe here's an example. Think of a, a young person who doesn't want to grow up. It's one thing to feel that way when you're 10, but 15 comes and goes, 18, 21, 28, we're now into our 30s, and still that young man or woman, I just don't like adulting, as they say. I don't want to take responsibility for my life. I would rather remain immature and let people take care of me, provide for me. That would become a problem, right? Now, if that person eventually came to realize, well, being immature, acting like a, like a childish person is actually causing a, a lot of problems and I'd like to change. But all they really wanted was to avoid the negative consequences of their immaturity not being able to hold down a job, not being able to take responsibility or follow through with commitments, right? Constantly just gratifying their own preferences, playing a lot of video games, watching a lot of Netflix, right? Never actually stepping into responsibility. And they, they wanted to be free of the consequences of their immaturity without actually maturing. Well, we'd say it's never gonna happen. <laughs> That's the whole point of it, is that the consequences of your immaturity are the result of a state of your own heart. And that's where the transformation needs to happen. Doesn't matter how many self-help books you read, doesn't matter how many, how many times you ask to be let off for the consequences of your failures and given another chance. If there's not a change of heart, you'll still remain immature. So it is in the Christian life. Our conversion can't just be around wanting to avoid the consequences of our sinful choices, but rather involve a whole change of perspective, what we call the metanoia, the conversion of heart. When that happens, when that happens in a person's life, it starts to look very different. It shows up. It looks like something. There's patterns. And those patterns, Jesus has summed up beautifully for us in this gospel reading today. It looks like losing your life for his sake. In another place in the gospel, he describes it maybe in a little more precise detail. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Those are the marks of a converted heart. Those are the marks of someone who has said, I'm not so much, being, I'm not so much interested in being freed from the consequences of sin, though I'm glad of that. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be punished. I don't want to lose my soul. But rather, I want to look like Jesus. I want my life to be radiated with the spirit of Jesus. I want it to show up. I want people to recognize and know who it is that I center my life on. By the choices that I make. By the way I spend my time. 
by the priorities that I have and by the way that I lose my life. So, I don't know if that's a phrase that we use too often anymore, virtue is its own reward. But maybe that's a way of, maybe that's something we could bring back. Maybe that's something that you can use with your kids or grandkids or your friends. Maybe as a joke, because it can sound a little smug sometimes. But it plants a seed. It gets us thinking. Yeah, why, it, why am I doing the right thing? Am I hoping for some, I don't know, winning lottery ticket that's going to pay me back for all my good deeds? Or is the, is the following of Jesus and the living of the life that he offers us itself the very answer to my prayer? Let's lift our voices now and anoint the, anoint, announce the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.